Welcome to the Freshman Foundation Podcast, helping you make the jump from high school athletics to the collegiate level and beyond with your host, Michael Huber. Hey everyone, it's Mike Huber, founder and CEO of the Freshman Foundation and certified mental performance consultant. The Freshman Foundation podcast helps young athletes and families be ready for every next step in their athletic journey. To learn about how you can be ready for the next step in your athletic journey, visit michaelvhuber.com. Thank you for listening to the Freshman Foundation. How is Nick Camilleri developing elite baseball players? I've been around baseball for more than 30 years as a player, coach, and fan. I'm comfortable in saying that anyone who's ever played the game at a high level falls in love with it. However, not every good player can be a good coach. Coaching baseball takes empathy and patience in addition to having knowledge of the game. My guest in this episode, Nick Camilleri, is the owner of Camilleri Baseball in Wyckoff, New Jersey. Nick is a former college baseball player who has made coaching young baseball players his life's work. In episode 58, Nick shares about his own experiences finding the right fit as a college baseball player and how he has used those experiences to mentor young players hoping to reach the same level. I'm excited for this conversation. Let's build your foundation with Nick Camilleri. Hey, Nick. How's it going, buddy? Hey, how are you, Michael? Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Um, definitely want to talk some baseball today. Um, Nick, so I guess the first question I would ask you is, you know, as a former college baseball player, I know uh, when I reached out to you, I had sort of seen something you posted on Twitter uh, about your experiences in the recruiting process and how you sort of found your your way to what ended up being the right fit for you from a, from a baseball program. Can you just talk about your recruiting, your own personal re- recruiting experience a little bit? Yeah, sure. So, uh, out of high school, I, uh, I committed to a division one school, my first offer. I wanted to play division one very, you know, really badly. Um, I committed to literally the worst division one school in the country. Um, at the time it was, yeah, St. Peter's university. Um, and I took it because it was a division one opportunity um, it wasn't a great baseball scholarship. It wasn't like a great school. It was just, you know, a chance to play division one and I had some other good division three offers um, where I probably should have went was the junior college level, considering I only had like a two, eight, three GPA. Um, and I didn't really know what I wanted to study. And honestly, if it wasn't for baseball, I probably wouldn't have went to college. Um, so all those factors kind of led up for me to go to a junior college, which my high school coach kind of pushed me to go to Brookdale. But um, I didn't do it just because I wanted that kind of Division One label. Um, so then I played at St. Peter's University for a year. I got about 90 to 100 at-bats. Um, I played in over 20 games, started started a good amount. Um, got to play against like Wake Forest, some pretty cool schools, cool schools Richmond, St. John's. We actually beat St. John's, Seton Hall. Um, we had about 10 wins. It, it, was, a, it was honestly a, a you know rough experience. Um, teammates weren't great. Um, the field wasn't great. The school wasn't great. Um, so I ended up going into, uh, there was no portal at the time, but you just kind of got your release form and you were able to go out and contact other schools. I contacted probably about like 75 division one, two schools and junior colleges. Um, a good amount got back to me. Um, the ones that I really, you know, I, I decided to go to Cumberland. 
community college in um, South Jersey. Um, but even when you kind of commit to a junior college, you could still commit to an NCAA school. Um, so the Southern New Hampshire coach and I stayed in touch. Scott Loaza, who's still there, who's probably the best, who is the best coach I ever played for. Um, and we kind of stayed in touch. He's like, hey, like, if you want to come up for a visit for the following year, uh, we can kind of stay in touch. So I went to go visit. I went to go visit my mom, and my brother. Um, Division two level, you're allowed to like work a player out on campus. So I had a really good workout there. And he said, like, we're definitely interested in you. Um, you know, we'll stay in touch for next year, stuff like that. And, you know, I uh, right when I got home, I said, like, I, I would just want to go there. Like, I don't want to do the junior college thing. Um, so I – and I, you know, I figured, like, if I did decent at a Division One level, like, how hard could it be at a Division Two level? And little did I know this was, like, a minor league team. Um, yeah, so that was, like, the most stacked team I've ever been in my life. I think we had, like, 50-plus wins. We made to the regional championship against St. Thomas Aquinas. We lost in game three, I believe. Um, and I only had like seven at bats. Um, but that was, it was hard being up there and being away from home and not playing. The first semester was great because, uh, it was all about, it was a lot of development, a lot of baseball. Um, I love my teammates. Um, they took it very seriously, unlike St. Peter's. So Southern New Hampshire was awesome to me. Um, and obviously I kind of saw the writing on the wall where I wasn't talented enough to play there. They were bringing kids in from West. We had a kid from West Virginia the following year after I left or after I graduated. There was a kid from Texas. Um, so it's all Division One kickbacks and some really, really good high school guys to go out and get. Um, so I decided, like, let me just finish up my career, get my degree. So I went to Rampo College, uh, not very enthusiastic about it. And, it, you know, it turned out to be the best two years of my life um, where I met all my good friends. We made it to a regional championship, uh, regional semifinal. Uh, we made two conference championships, and uh, I played with three players who ended up playing um, affiliated, you know, affiliated minor league MLB baseball. Um, one's still there now. Two had a couple of short stints that I got to play with. So um, yeah, that's kind of like my story in terms of recruiting and how I kind of bounced around. But yeah, I ended up at Rampo College up in Mawa, and that was the best move for me. And I kind of wish I started off there. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's uncommon nowadays for now with the transfer portal specifically. I think a lot of kids have a hard time finding the right fit. And it sounds like for you, and and I think this is something that I see just sort of from the outside looking in is that there's still a lot of, um, there's a really great desire from a lot of kids to take division one offers strictly because they're division one offers rather than looking at the whole picture of like, is this the best fit for me as a person um and you just saying hey i want to play division one so i could say hey i played i played division one at what point with st peter's did you realize like hey this probably wasn't it wasn't for you it was probably it was probably like the fall season honestly like kind of like right when we got going um our coach who was a very good baseball guy he was a very good guy he played triple a with the orioles uh, tj baxter i really liked him but the school didn't make it a full-time position it was a part-time position so Obviously, it was financially tough on him, um, and that's something like me and my parents didn't know to ask or think about if your coach was full time on our visit. Um, so, you know, he did the best he can, uh, best he could, in the constraints that he had. Um, but yeah, kind of like towards the end of the fall, where like we didn't really have much individuals, we really didn't have a weightlifting program. Like guys would just not show up to lift and be like, okay, um, stuff like that. Like you know, in terms of development, there wasn't very much hands-on coaching facilities. There was just like one cage and one little area for the pitchers to throw. So I kind of got the, I, after, you know, even my friends who went to division three schools, like 
they kind of told us like how they ha- they told me how they did it and like how their process of development was over there and like i was just kind of like blown away by like what the hell am i doing here so like mid-semester i did want to leave but um one of our catchers ended up getting into a car accident i think and he kind of messed up his leg so i was so i got a call from our head coach was like hey listen like you're gonna play a lot more than you expected this year and right off the bat i think of the first weekend we had like we had Wake Forest on our schedule, Richmond and Harvard, and Harvard had a pretty good arm that year. Who ended up getting drafted? So like I was not going to pass up the opportunity. I'm like, well, at least I get some stats. If I still don't like it at the end of the year, I'm just going to leave. So um, I remember like being a full my being on the phone with my mom in the first weekend into conference play. Um, that's when I wanted to leave. Kind of like when we were in the hotel, we were at Canisius. Um, they kind of kicked our ass a little bit. So that's what I really like was like, all right, this is not for me. Like the team's not really a team. Like I hated, I hated being like away with, um, not away, but I didn't like being far away from home. Um, even on a trip with those guys. So, um, I had one good roommate, he ended up leaving, but kind of like, as soon as the fall started winding down, getting into the individuals part of it, I knew it was like kind of weird how, um, we didn't do some of the things that either like division three or junior college schools did. Yeah. Well, I I think you raise a really important point, right? Like sometimes, listen, families, a lot of families don't really understand the recruiting process because they've never been through it, right? Especially if you're the first kid to go through it. And you raise a great point, like asking a question, like, are you a full-time, is it a full-time paid position? You would never think to ask a question like that, but it makes a huge difference, right? If a coach is only making a part-time making part-time pay and he's got another job. I mean, it's going to be really hard to be dedicated to the development of the players and and the program. So like, you'd never think to ask that question. And then when you find out, you're like, Oh, this makes sense. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Yeah. It wasn't even like my dad's a first generation here. My mom went to nursing school. So my dad went in and out to college. I kind of commuted. Um, so they, neither of them played sports. I was the first of three. My sister now plays division two softball at Delphi and my brother's a sophomore in high school. So now we have a better feel of it. Um, but yeah, we, like, we knew nothing. We just kind of knew like, you know, the amount of tuition and like the amount of tuition we got off. And if it was division one, two or three. Right. Right. So, I I mean, listen, I mean, at least you knew, you know, sooner rather than later, you know, and then you decided to move on to another program. And it's, I think it is interesting too, like, you know, for people who are listening, you know, if you're a young, if you're a young athlete, like, I think there's this perception that division one is sort of the be all end all, but there's really good competition at all levels, regardless of sport, right? Particularly baseball, two division two, three JUCO are really, really competitive, you know. And so you can find competitive baseball and opportunities to get to the next level. You know, n- you don't have to be at division one, right? And it sounds like you know, with your experiences at, at division two and three, to see other guys going on, you know, super talented, go on to play at the professional level. Like you don't have to be a division one guy to get drafted or to get signed. Uh, after college yeah and i was actually uh i actually hosted a recruiting seminar at my facility this past weekend and uh mm-hmm. one of the guys who was speaking said division three is not um like like a uh like a safety net like you should be proud to be a division three player and i think that especially goes to uh some of the better division threes around here in the northeast uh there's great a great conference in new jersey here the NJAC up in massachusetts babson um UMass Boston, uh, SUNY Oswego. I mean, like those guys can take on any MAC, any C school, any day. Um, even Rowan um, from the NJAC is supposed to move into Division One next 
2024. And I'm assuming they're going to jump right in the middle to, you know, middle to upper part of that conference. And, you know, it's just because, you know, it's a lot of kickbacks. It's a lot of guys who are like, hey, the baseball here isn't that bad. Like, let me go develop and get on the field as opposed to being on a huge roster where um, I might not have an opportunity to make an impact right away. Or I might, you know, my scholarship only covered half of the scholar, so half of the tuition. I'm still paying $40,000. So, um, Stuff like that. I think the biggest thing at college is like kind of getting to play, getting experience, and leaving with not a big, not a big uh, number over your head um, in terms of um, loans. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna jump. I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit, right? So, you know, if I think back to when I played high school baseball, which is sad to say, 30 years ago, you know, it was. I think we were in a time where we didn't have all the resources that we do now in terms of private instruction, club ball video, you know, technology, all these things. Right. So I think when I was, when I was in, at that point, division three was sort of like, eh, right. But now you have so many players in the system who are playing baseball basically all year round and who are investing in private instruction at facilities like yours and, and strength and all these other things that they're doing. There's just a bigger pool of players who are qualified to play at the highest level. There's just not enough spots. Yeah, of course. So like the way I look at it is like the MLB draft in 2020 was cut down to five rounds and then following it was cut down to 20 rounds. So if you kind of think like a food chain, it's a trickle down effect, right? So now the kid who was drafted in the 39th round that might have been committed to UConn um, before 2020 is now going to UConn. So the kid who used to have the UConn spot doesn't go to UConn. Now he goes to Marist. Now the kid at Marist that doesn't have that spot now goes to SUNY Oswego. And all the way down. So that's the kind of way you look at it. And what you were saying, uh, Mike, in terms of resources, I mean, there's just so much more information, technology, um, even places to train like facility wise. Um, It's uh, showcases. It's it's incredible. I know like before I was born, the only guy who really did showcases was uh, Joe Wadica here in Rutherford. Um, but now, nowadays, I mean, you know, you, you could go check your email and spam box and you'd have 30 invitations to go to a showcase or a workout or whatever. So, um, and that excludes social media. So yeah, there are a lot of resources and just because of the trickle down effect from the MLB draft and the portal and roster sizes, it's really, um, getting harder and harder to play at the division one level. Um, never mind division two and three as well, but yeah, I mean, you know, we see more kids staying in the game because maybe they're a little stronger, they're a little faster. Um, it's not so skill. Uh, it's not so much skill at this point, whereas like you can find a really good athlete and maybe take a chance on them. Yeah. So I, I'll go back to your, to your playing days, right? So now you're sort of in, in the instruction on the instructional side, but like, what were some of the things that you learned in college as a player that you didn't know in high school? Like what were the biggest things that you learned as a player playing for better coaches and, and in better programs? Yeah, I mean, the, the the biggest thing I say, and I just talk about this when I coach and I'm out of the cage, it's kind of the speed of the game. And, you know, the better players know what to do like before the ball gets hit to them. They know how to work counts, um, stuff like that. And that's kind of stuff that, like, you know, it's not so much talked about um, in high school. It's just kind of like a very um, result-oriented game just because, especially in New Jersey with the time constraints – where in college you're able to look at the process part of it and, you know, and the constraints of division one and two with individuals and things like that. Like you don't really think about, you know, these little things that might make you better. 
Um, and it comes down to coaching, you know, who, who could really develop. Um, I mean, um, I, in high school, I remember just like my coach, Coach Laguerre, who I now I'm on his staff, like just yelling at me, catch the ball as a catcher. Like, you know, make sure you don't drop it and make sure you block it. And if somebody throws, just throw it around the base and maybe we'll get him out. But uh, when I remember when I went to Southern New Hampshire, it wasn't like just like just don't you know, just catch the ball. Like you have to steal strikes now and you have to throw 70 out of 10 guys out. You're not going to play. And, you know, we don't want you to just block the ball. We want you to pick it up and throw somebody out. So the expectations definitely get a little bit better determined on where you go. Um, but again, it's like, you know, things get a little harder. There's people trying to take your job. You're trying to earn a job. And like I said, like the competition at Southern New Hampshire was like unbelievable. So again, that kind of just goes to test uh, what kind of program they are. Um, and you kind of see the other side of it when like other bad programs aren't very good. And that's kind of the reason why just like the time and effort of people you're around. Yeah. Well, you know, the other thing I, I'm, I'm curious about is, you know, and I don't really, I, I see it from an, an outsider's perspective. I'm learning more about it and you probably have a much clearer view on it, but as you know, listen, in the world we live in with high school players, so much of their process of development and recruitment is centered around travel ball. Right. And so that's also a results oriented environment. Right. And so like, can you just sort of talk about sort of the mindset that develops that you see with your players in terms of like going out and maybe producing in a showcase or playing in tournaments? Like, do they really do players learn how to play the game the right way, you know, because they're sort of gunning for a result rather than focusing on the process of development? Yeah. So I'll put it this way. Like when it's time to be, when it's time to be recruited, like you should really try to go get recruited. Um, before that, it should just be getting better. So I had a conversation with a player the other day who's on like a big travel team. They take a trip to Alabama, Georgia, Florida, and I think Arizona. And he's now into his junior year and, you know, the UCFs of the world and the Dukes of the world and the um, University of Alabama's and UConn's aren't really interested. And I'm like, at what point do you shut that down and just focus kind of making it a little tighter and be like, okay, where do I want to go to school and where do I want to look? Um, you know, high school ball, um, I'm a high school coach. I, I do not hate travel ball like I know a couple of people do. Um, but the reason why high school baseball isn't as highlighted as the summer ball is, is just, um, you know, college coaches can't come see you play during the spring. I mean, right. They're um, in season. I, they're in season. So I think that's why the summer so important. But like, if you look at a team, like I coach at St. Peter's prep, we're in Jersey city, a team like Seton hall is in West orange, probably a 20 minute drive, but they're practicing at three o'clock after class, you know, Monday to Monday, playing Tuesday, maybe playing Wednesday, practicing Thursday. They're on the road Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, and that's, you know, we play at 4 o'clock in high school. So I think high school kind of gets a bad rap, meaning like nobody gets recruited in high school. But it's just from the constraints. I mean, even Division three schools, um, you know, our practice time at Rampo is 3.30. Um, our game time at St. Peter's Prep, Prep is 4.05. Unless you have like a fourth or fifth coach on that staff to go out and go see a game, it's kind of hard to run a practice and go recruit. Um, so I think that's why high school gets a bad rap. But in terms of summer bowl, um, yes, I do think development and teaching the game in terms of like holding on runners and double cuts and back picks when somebody bunts and bunting and bunt defense is kind of put aside for, okay, we got to get this guy here at this time to see this guy see him play for him to get recruited for us to, you know, do our job, what parents pay us for. So yes and no, um, it's a give and take, but again, it's kind of towards in the constraints of what everybody can accommodate to. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think it I, I think that that travel ball process to some extent aligns with the recruitment process in the sense that like I think there's plenty of really good travel clubs out there, right? Again, I'm not as close to it as you are, but I do have some familiarity. I think it's the same, right? Finding a club that's a fit for your family, right? Finding a club that does value development as much as you can do it, right? Has good coaching staffs, has professional coaches, right? Those things matter versus like just like assembling nine guys and throwing them on the field so they can go play. And like, they're not really coaching you, right? It's the same at the college level, right? Like you, it's almost mirrors your experience, right? Like, okay, I'm going to go to St. Peter's. I'm going to play division one because it's division one. And then you get there and you realize like, this isn't exactly for me, right? I think it's, it's investigating sort of where's a good fit for you uh, rather than just sort of being like, okay, what's the most, you know, exposure I'm going to get or the most playing time I'm going to get. I, 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 I did want to share this story. I thought this was really interesting. This is again, like this is some, I'm somewhat naive to this process, but I went to a high school game this past spring. It was a shore conference playoff game. And unbeknownst to me, I'm standing next to a gentleman who's wearing a Seton Hall shirt. Turns out he's the Seton Hall head coach, um, uh, Shepard, right? And, and we start talking and he's scouting players at this at this game. And he said, you know, which I thought was really interesting. He said, I like to come to these games because I want to see how kids react in a, in a situation that matters, right? So comparing, contrasting travel ball right? To see a kid who's playing in a showcase or something, they're just trying to get their numbers. Now they're playing in a game where it really matters because they're playing with their teammates and they're trying to win a game. I want to see how they compete. I thought that was really interesting. And I, I can't imagine that's super common because of the constraints college coaches have. But I, I mean, what do you what do you think about that in terms of like really understanding what a player is all about, watching them in a game like that, that actually has some meaning? Yeah, of course. Like you want guys to produce in high stress levels. Um, I'm Pretty sure everybody has a story of the kid who's great in BP, who looks great in a uniform, who runs a six eight, who hits the ball 105 miles an hour, but in the game it just doesn't happen. And we know we we, we know as a, you know as a coach, like you take a chance in that kid, hoping he pans out. Um, but as Coach Shepard mentioned to you, like you know you want the guy who's going to get the fisted double over the first baseman's head with you know a three two count, and you know in a game that matters, um, the the BP home run isn't going to play at that point. Um, I actually recruited from St. Peter's first and a state tournament game against St. Joe's Montvale. So um, the game was like super intense. And, you know, you go to Diamond Nation, um, you know, it's a three, two game. Maybe you got a runner on second and third as a hitter and you strike out like nobody cares. You're going to go to Sonic and you're going to come back and play at five and you're going to go home and go to sleep, play Sunday morning and that's your weekend. So uh, I kind of get, I totally understand that. Like those games have way more bearing and, you know, you're even social. If you go back to school and you get a two RBI single and you win the game, like you're feeling pretty good about yourself, right? How are you going to respond to that at the college level? Whereas um, you strike out, maybe like, you know, how's your attitude going to be in practice the next day? So 100% what Coach Shepard is saying is true. Um, and again, summer ball, summer ball is great. I mean, it's a good time just to kind of relax and play and showcase yourself. Um, I've been to some pretty high intense summer ball games, but nothing that compares to like, you know, a New Jersey State tournament game or a Burton County tournament or a Shore Conference tournament. So, um, you know, and that's why I think, even, you know, in terms of football up here is so good. Um, Bergen Catholic, Don Bosco, St. Joe, St. Peter's Prep, DePaul Catholic. Like, it's so good because the players are so good. So I think coaches get, like, a good tree coming to see New Jersey high school sports in general. Um, yes. And see how people handle, uh, you know, stressful environments. 
Yeah. So, so from, from a coaching perspective, you know, with, with the types of players that come into your facility that you're working with individually, what, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges you see with high school players in terms of like things that they're trying to get better at or things that they struggle with that they really need to work on in the, at the high school level before they get to college? Like what are some of the things that you're really emphasizing? Yeah. So the first thing I'll say is they need to worry about playing good in games. And I know in the constraints of New Jersey, we don't play all year long, like California, Texas, Florida. I, I do know that there's some nine-year-olds still playing outside, which is ridiculous to me, but that's another story. Um, but they need to play good in games. Um, I have a lot of parents and players tell me like they throw this on the rap soda, they hit this on the hit tracks, um, whatever. And like, this is my life. Like, you know, I'm saying like nothing you do in the cage really matters. Right. If there's a guy who on the field who produces more, he's probably going to be the guy who, you know, has a, has a longer career. So the first thing kids need really need to worry about is, okay, like you're talking to me about all this stuff, but how did you do on the field this summer? Uh, how did you do on the field this fall? And, you know, um, opportunities aren't going to present themselves if you are not good. So that's the first thing. Like We look at the baseball player, right? Is the baseball player good? Two, um, a lot of kids I have are extremely undersized in terms of uh, weight, um, strength. Uh, nobody wants a 150-pound shortstop at the high school, uh, college level anymore, right? Um, uh, they, they want guys who look like, you know, Bobby Wood Jr. and Bo Bichette, who's even low on the smaller side. But these guys are ripped. They're toned. They look like cornerbacks in the NFL. So – um, I get a lot of guys who just aren't like don't like their bodies just don't cut it. I mean, like, um, go watch a high school, go watch a college baseball game. Like if you're in New Jersey, like Seton Hall, Princeton, Rutgers, Ryder, um, St. Peter's. Like you go look at those guys. Like they're pretty, they're pretty shredded. They're big. Um, you know, I, I hate when I have a kid come in. He, you know, is really undersized and he's worried about you know exit velocity or throwing velocity. Like, dude, like you'll get the guys in the show. Like, you know, um. That guy, that lefty from the Astros who won the World Series in game, I think it was six. I mean, he had to be 215, 220 pounds. So these guys are like He's pretty a massive. Thick dude. So, yeah, yes. I forgot his name, but. Um, Is that Fran, like, Fran Valdez? Yeah, Valdez. He had a lefty. So, like, number yeah. two, like, you got to be in really good shape, right? Um, and even if you're a skinny guy, like, if you're ripped up, like, that's your game. Like, that's fine. Um, and then three, um, the skill set, right? So we got to focus on skills. So, like, if you if you had a great year offensively, but you can't you know you can't feel the ball, like that's probably something you should look at, and vice versa, right? Everybody loves Coach Noto from Wagner. I talked to like everybody loves to hit, right? But um, you know you gotta you gotta want to be good at your defense too, right? So as much as you stress like the bat, um, if you go one for three with a single and three errors, you're, you're not going to be in the lot the next day, um, even though if that single was a hundred miles an hour. So I think kids need to understand where they lack, where they need to get better. Um, and that's where like having reliable sources come in and, you know, with a good travel coach, with a reliable uh, recruiting service um, that like we use in my family for my brother, with a good high school coach, with a good um, strength coach, stuff like that. But I would say the biggest thing is in-game development to um, get in the weight room, whether it's to gain weight or the case is not very often to lose weight. And when you lose weight, not to lose too much weight, because I have seen that before. And three, uh, your skill set, right? Like, um, you know, maybe I maybe I have a great pop time, but, you know, my in the game I hit 100, right? I hit 100 um, a batting average through the high school season. Like, definitely not going to cut it. Like, you see a lot of, like, 78, 82 in high school. Like, if you're not barreling balls up at that rate, like, you can cross – all division one, two and a high level division three off the level. And like, hopefully you find yeah. somewhere to play. Yeah. 
I, I, listen, I, I think so. So my my bias is sort of the mental side of baseball, right? And I, I think you've kind of hit on that without using that word, right? In, in mental, right? One competitiveness is the ability to right go out and compete, you know, against other people and not let the failure get you down because going into the cage or going in and being, you know, evaluated, you know, when, what's my exit velo, what's my, you know, what's my throwing velo, right? Like that has nothing to do with your ability to go out and compete. Cause I know I'm sure you've seen, and I know I've seen, I played a lot of baseball in my life, guys who throw mediocre at best, but they know how to get guys out because they, they have, they locate the ball, they mix their pitches, they're smart and they go after you. Right. Like, it doesn't always, it's not always about the metrics, right? And then the last piece of my defense, right? Just as an example, I think a lot of kids so overemphasize production at the plate that all of their self-worth as a player is tied up in their, in their hitting, right? And so you can go 0 for 3 in a game, but if you field your position and you save runs, there's value in that, right? And a lot of kids are just so distorted in terms of the way they look at the game. If I don't hit, I'm not producing. Well, you're going to not hit because it's baseball and it's hard. But if you go out and make the plays you're supposed to make and you save runs, there's value in that. And they don't take any confidence out of that. They just assume like, oh, I should do this, but I got to hit or else I'm not good. And it's just such a like, I think the way that players I see, and I work with a lot of high school and college kids, the view mentally is so distorted that they have a hard time with failure because they're not really looking at the big picture the right way. Yeah. Um, I could definitely hit on that. Like I have a catcher who's not um, particularly great with the stick, but he's getting a lot of division one opportunities because he's so good behind the plate and he commands the game so well. Um, and the sticks come along. He's going to be a good player this year in New Jersey, um, in New Jersey. But, you know, just to attest to that, like, like, you know, defense goes into it, especially if you're a catcher, shortstop, second base, center fielder. Um, you know, you could have a real good game, go 0 for 3 with a walk, steal base, and, you know, lock it down at shortstop. And, you know, you you feel you should feel pretty good about yourself. Um, and there's definitely a place in the game for those type of players. Uh, we see guys in the show all the time, like, comes up to, comes up to bat, he's hitting 123, but he's got a job, um, which is incredible to me. Like, we didn't see that probably 15, 20 years ago, probably when you were my age, um, like, you know, if you if you were if you weren't hitting 250, like you didn't have a job at the MLB for a long time, and if you're hitting 250, you better better hit a couple bombs. But um, even at the uh, you know what you kind of said, like you know guys who don't throw particularly hard, like there's a place for you. Like there's a place for you um, at Division three schools, Division two schools, at low end Division one schools. I mean, at Southern New Hampshire, we faced a kid named Adam Gross. He was a lefty at through sidearm who threw maybe 62, and every time we had a lefty come up, Derek Bauer, they went left on left and. Gross won every battle, every battle in the eighth inning. And that was a Franklin Pierce, Southern New Hampshire battle, which was great. And that kid ended up going to play in this, uh, any CBL. He had a great career. So um, there's a place for all those guys. But again, like um, everybody's so looking for the metric jump because that's so easy to, the metric jumps are so easy to display on social media and advertise at a PR and advertise at a perfect game that like, kind of lesser kids who maybe don't throw 87 who throw 77 they feel the need for that jump where in actuality like you know this kid on the mound is six six two two fifteen. god gave him better genetic parents than you right so kind of worrying about the 77 kid like okay i'm getting outs in games i'm working my tail off trying to get more velocity 
Um, you know, this is me. This is who I am right now. You know, I'm just going to keep working instead of losing my head where, which you kind of understood, like the mental side of it, like that's your, your velocity and your exit velocity isn't who you are. Yeah. Well, I think to me, from where I sit, one of the things that I talk about all the time, regardless of who you are, what you play is what you can and can't control, right? Genetics is sort of one example of that, right? Genetics are genetics, right? Like, and maybe, right. If you're a kid who's sitting in the high seventies in high school, Maybe it's just a matter of like, hey, I'm not in the right place in terms of my strength development, right? Maybe I need to go find somebody else who can help me put on that muscle that can get me into the 80s so that I can get to play at the Division three level. Some kids bloom late, right? And I think as players, we're so, to you hit on it before, it's like social media in the world we live in. Everything is instant gratification. I work with a kid. So give you an example, it sort of ties together some of the things you were saying. I personally individually work with a kid who plays division one at a high, high level of baseball. And he's like six foot two Oh five two ten, like put together, plays shortstop feels everything like legit. Like he's a major league shortstop fielding wise. And he's this big, strong kid. He can move. He makes all the plays. Like he does what he's supposed to. When he came to work with me, he's like, I want to get drafted and I need to like get better in the, you know, I need to get better at the plate. I need to hit better. And a lot of it he felt like was mental. So we started working on that. But as we got to know each other and the draft was coming up last year, he's like, well, I'm getting some interest. And I said, listen, dude, like you don't know how these 32 major league teams value players. Like you assume that they want to see a guy hit 350 and hit 15 home runs. I go, there's spot to your point for everybody. I go, if you're a guy who's six foot tall, 210 pounds of muscle who can move and field everything, like, and you play in, in a power five division one conference and you hit high twos, 300, which is where he was at. Like someone's going to look at you and go like, this guy can help my club. Right. Will you get to the major leagues? Who knows? Right. But you've got to value yourself. You don't know how other teams like teams are going to value you. So go like, go out and do what you do. Well, try to get better at what you think you need to get better at. And then the chips are going to fall. Right. Like, you can't control what people think of you. And that goes for recruiting, right? I think a lot of kids get so hung up on what other people think of them. Like, how am I being evaluated? If you just go out and do what you need to do to get better, like those opportunities are going to come if you stick with it. But if you get so hung up on like, what do other people think or where are these offers coming from? Or am I going to get drafted? That's going to, it's going to be debilitating. It's going to be debilitating because now all of a sudden you're always questioning yourself about like, every time I make a mistake, like, what's this other person going to think of me? And like, you just can't play baseball that way. There's no, yeah. you can't be confident and, and, and be worried. Right that kind of goes to like the social part of it too. Like, you know, what are my teammates going to think of me? What is, you know, what are the girls in the game in college going to think of me? Stuff like that. Um, because it kind of goes into like, if I don't do A, like I'm not going to be A, who you think you should be in your head. So a lot of it goes back to the mental side of it and kind of like, seeing your whole player like what value you add to playing baseball and it goes back to like being a good baseball player not just being good in the cage or showcase or whatever um so yeah i think a, a lot of it like you said is the mental part of it and the social part of it and you know you want to be in new jersey like you want to be on john kroger's twitter uh video with a winning double right and if you're not you're kind of like oh my buddy is like you know I don't want to talk to him the rest of the day. So now you bring that home with you. And it, you know, it's a snowball effect where it's like maturity versus immaturity thing, which kids get better as they get older. But yeah, to your point again, um, what, what really value are you vested? Who's really vesting in your value? 
Yeah. I think the other piece that gets overlooked by a lot of kids is like, am I a good teammate, right? Like, am I like patting my teammate on the head? Am I supporting my teammate? Am I on the fence? Am I right? Am I running hard no matter what? Like baseball coaches, any coach in any sport wants to see that, right? Like you don't realize that that has value when someone's looking at you from a recruiting process, right? Like, are you a good teammate? Are you, do you play hard? Do you back your guys up or do you drop your head? Do you have bad body language? Do you point your finger at your teammates? Do you make a scene? Like kids don't realize that like they they think that that's normal, but it's not. Coaches don't want to deal with that shit. Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, again, my, my buddy, Andrew Turner just got done coaching at Wagner college. He he was just talking um, at my facility about it. And when he went to diamond nation, he, you know, if, if you got up and he was looking at you and you grounded out and didn't run it hard at first, then you, walk back you know you walked it off or put your head down cross right so there's a million guys who just put like crosses or x's or lines um because at the end of the day they're you're trying to build a winning culture and a coach who isn't trying to building build a winning culture shouldn't be in the job right if you just recruit players based on metrics and um i guess positive in-game performances like your locker room your bus ride your plane ride your study hall is not it's not going to be good right if you have half the guys who buy in and work their ass off or good teammates like that that's the type of guys you want to be around, but then you have five, the other half are cancerous guys who, you know, don't show up to class, don't show up to study hall, like pout when things don't go their way. They're happy when they hit a double, when they strike out, the helmet goes flying, like stuff like that really brings down the culture. And you spend all this time together with people, like you don't want to be around those kind of people. Um, not even in terms of baseball, like in life, like you don't want to go hang out with the crew that's like always miserable or always upset or always you know tired or whatever, like. That brings you down. So it kind of goes for the same thing as being in a locker room, as being in a, a clubhouse and stuff like that, like a dugout. Like, you know, there's points in college, like there's guys pounding in the dugout. Like you just kind of want them to get out, right? Um, so, you, again, like if you're that guy, like there's a coach looking to cross you off because, you know, all my friends, college coaches, like they go to Domination, they get a packet handed to them with a 1,000 players in it. They need to get down to five or six players. And from those five or six players, maybe one or two get offered. Right. Right. The Diamond Nation thing is so fascinating to me. I've spent some, I spent some time there last summer watching some of the players that I work with. And I had never really been exposed to that sort of environment of like, it's just like this big baseball factory, right? Like just games going on and coaches rolling around. And it's, it's really, really interesting because it's just not something that I was exposed to at, at when I was in high school. And I think that it's great that kids can play all year round, especially at a facility like that. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I feel like you, kids must, they must get desensitized at a point because they play so many tournaments and they play so much baseball. It's almost like a job, right? It becomes almost like a job at a certain point. Like, I mean, what's your, I mean, what's your take on that? I mean, do you think that playing more baseball is better or do you think that there's too much, too many opportunities and maybe there needs to be a little bit more sort of break in the action? If the I'll put it this way: if the best players in the country, if you want to be one of the best players in the country, you see these guys getting, you know, let's say 120 at bats in high school, and then another 200, 150 in the summer. If you want to be the best, you're going to have to go out and try to play the most, right? Because like the game teaches, the game teaches the best experience. So I'm a proponent of playing a lot, um, but at the same time, when like the season's over, the season's over. Like I don't think anybody should run out. Like I see a couple colleges. Uh, colleges I really respect and colleges I'm friends with, like, you know, even like a prospect camp this time of year, like having somebody throw at this point of the year, unless they're, you know, are throwing off the mound, which is very rare at this point. Like 
you know, how much are we really going to throw before the kid is like, again, desensitized from like, you know, am I just throwing to throw? Am I throwing to win the game? Right. Um, and that kind of goes back to how much we play. And you really kind of find the kid who like wants to be there from day one when it's, you know, um, the super 17 at Diamond Nation and there's a million scouts there. And then when you're getting to the back end of July, when maybe there's only, you know, uh, Drew and Drew and William Patterson is there, not the Big Ten and Big Tw- uh, Big Ten and um, Big East there. So you kind of find the kid who really who really does love it, and the kid who wants to get better and sees it as a process instead of like a result oriented uh, manner. Um, so again, I think that kind of determines like what really kids want it, what ki- really kids don't, because like there are kids that say they want to play college baseball, and their parents say they want to play college baseball. But when you kind of like let them know the schedule and like what kind of life you have, like they have, like okay, like no, I don't want to do it. Like I had a great conversation with a uh, a kid the other day. He's like, you know, if I don't go to like a Rutgers or like a big school where I can go to the football games and hang out, um, I don't want to play college baseball. Like that's so refreshing to hear, right? Because like a kid actually knows what he wants to do. Um, There's so many kids that you know. Even at Rampa, we had a bunch of kids uh, like recruited, like that, like you know, they go to the first party, like that's it. Right. Um, so I think you kind of like during that time, you find out like, who really wants to play, like who's showing up to the stretch, like leading the stretch, bounce up and down, ready to play on a Sunday morning, the back end of July when, you know, their juniors have their license, their friends are down the shore on the beach um, partying and stuff. And you're like, you want to play baseball. So that really is what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's something I talk a lot about in my work is motivation, right? Are you, why are you doing what you're doing? Because at the end of the day, if a kid goes to play college baseball, which it sounds like you've had this experience, right? Like if, if you're playing just to play, like the amount of work that you have to put in to just keep your head above water is so much. It's like, there's so many kids out there going and regardless of sport who are going like, why am I doing this? Right? Do yeah. I really love it? Do I really love the grind of college baseball or whatever sport I play? Or am I just doing it to say I'm doing it? Because otherwise, just go be a kid. Like you said, go go hang out and, and go socialize and go to the football games and go to parties. And like, because not everybody's going to be a professional baseball player or a college baseball player. And that's okay. Right. And I think that that's something I think a lot of kids struggle with because they put so much time and energy into the sport, take baseball. And the parents spend so much time and energy and money that there's almost like this unspoken expectation of like, I played travel baseball for the last eight years and we've gone to Georgia and Alabama and Arizona and all these places. And, you know, we go to Diamond Nation every weekend and, and I go to instruction, I go to strength coach and I do this and that. And now I don't want to play college baseball. Like, you know, it's like, I'm sure you see that in the cage, right? Like, you know, kids who come in just going through the motions because they feel like they have to. Yeah, no, I, I definitely have like, you know, there's interested players and there's really committed players, right? Like, um, you know, the, the, the point that I always see is like from a high school perspective, and this goes back to when I was playing high school, was like, you know, who's, who's uh, moaning and groaning about the Memorial Day practice, the, the day after Memorial Day or whatever, uh, before the state tournament, and who's... um who's like wants to be there and show up. So like, um, I remember like, I just, I did like growing up, like my, my dad always raised me like kind of like it's like a privilege to play baseball. Right. Like, like you get to, like my parents were never waking me up. Like, Oh, we got to go. We got to get in the car. Like, my dad's like, if you don't wake me up, if you don't uh, tell me what time the game is or where we have to be, like, you just won't go. I don't care. Like, I'll save my money. I'll save my time. And I think now a lot of it is like, you know, maybe it's parent driven, right? Like 
the parent knows where to bring you what time stuff like that which is probably way different than it was back in your um your growing up big time um, yeah so i mean like you know that kind of just drives the desire of like want like interested and committed um you know the committed kid kind of is on top of it like i say to kids like oh like you know where's your game this weekend they're like oh you know so um, I don't mean my, my mom. Like, she's got the calendar. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like I know me. And then they get to turn around the cage and be like, yeah, what are we playing? I'm like at that point, I'm like, I don't care. Like it's a stretch. Um, but, at, but, at, um, but I know me, my brother right. and my sister, like my sister for travel softball used to book her own hotel, used to book her own airfare. Um, my brother for travel baseball right now books his own airfare books. So again, like, um, are we, I'm not bragging about my, me, my siblings, but are we, were we the best? Probably not. But we are definitely like committed. Like, you know, as a college coach, as a high school coach, you want those kind of guys in your dugout on your roster. Right. And I love that. And I, and I, and I appreciate that. I have my own kids who are now getting to the point where sports are becoming more serious. And I say the same thing. Like if you really want this, I'll support you, but I'm not driving the bus. I have things that I have to do. Right. And I think we do live in a world where the kids are just, they're just shepherded through all this stuff without having a vested interest. And they take it for granted because someone's telling them like, you have to be here. Like, that's just not the way it's going to work when you get to college. You want to go play college baseball? You're going to have to show up on time. No one's going to get you out of bed. No one's, you know, you you have to figure this out yourself. And I think you're right. Like ultimately it's more sometimes about the motivation of the, the player than it is about the talent level. Because if a kid wants to be there and they're not as good, but they want to be there and they want to get better, that's the kid I want to coach, right? Yeah, I have a, in general. I, I have a kid, of course. I have a kid who's committed to Northwestern, um, Zach Selfon. He was like probably the, the like you know the first really good player I got three years ago. And in my facility, it's very small. There's not much room to stretch if both cages are going. Zach used to show up probably like you know twenty minutes before his lesson, stretch in the parking lot or in the the vestibule in the hallway to get himself going. And, you know, that's a Northwestern big 10 commit. So, um, that's kind of like what it takes. Not like, you know, dad pushing in there and like, you know, you got to take your coat off and then your phone's in your hand, stuff like that. So just little things like that. And you really see the better kids like do the bet, do better things. It's like, who's really vested and who's really not. Like there's even some, like, you know, my brother's, my brother's team. I mean, they play games and like, um, like the other team I saw this summer, like full count baseball, uh, the kids waving his hand for a water. Like, you know, my dad's be like, my brother's pitching in Georgia, ran out of water. He's like, he'll figure it out. Like, you know, it's just like, you know, it's baseball is not the priority in life. Uh, it shouldn't be. Um, and I think that's where kind of gets mixed in families and things like that. Yeah. But listen, at the end of the day, because it's a big business, because parents are investing so much time and energy and the, and the parents get caught up. And I, mean, I talk about this a lot in my work and on this podcast about, sports parenting, right? And there's just parents are so overinvested in sports at, at that level because they want to keep up with the Joneses or they want their Johnny or Mary to be a college athlete or get a scholarship or get the recognition for all of the investment they've made. And that's just a recipe for resentment, right? At the end of the day, like if the kid doesn't really want it and they feel like they have to do it because the parents have put all this in, like it's just not going to work out in the end for most kids. The kid has to want it. And if they don't want it, that's okay. But you know, it's not going to end well when you show up and your coach is kicking your ass and you know, no one's there to tell you like, Hey, you need to show up here. You need to put that work in yourself. Yeah. yeah the biggest yeah. thing like you just said is keeping up with the Joneses. Like I even had, um, you know, like 
guys like want to go to junior colleges and their pa- and you know parents are like looking down at it. I'm like, listen, I'm like, you know, because it's just kind of like keeping up. Like, oh, like I would need him to go to school, this and that. Like, it's just like, listen, like you have to do what's best for the kid and what does the kid want. And it's not so much as like you know. Um, for lack of a better term, like a pissing contest. Like my kid went here, so my kid goes here. And like, it's like everybody's jumping everybody. We're like, you know, and especially in a world where like the mental health is declining, unfortunately, like we have to really look at like what makes kids happy to an extent, right? You can't make like kids eat cookies and lollipops all, all the time. But, you know, to an extent of like, you know, if he, you know, if he just wants to do this, right, maybe it's not an Ivy League school, but like he's in school, he's not doing drugs, not in the street. So like, you know, just let him, let him do his thing. Like he's not a bad dude. Right. Well, 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 that's exactly it. Right. Nick, like we, we all find our way, right. If I look back on my life and all the choices that I made was every choice that I made good, a good one, arguably no, but I got to where I am because of those choices. We learn from them. Right. And sometimes we have to let kids make those choices on their own, even if they're not the ideal choice. Right. Juco is a perfect example. Like you mentioned Brookdale earlier, right. Brookdale has a really good baseball program, Right. You play baseball at Brookdale, you're going to play some pretty good baseball, and and you're going to get an a, an offer probably, if you're a good baseball player, an offer to go on and play a four-year school eventually at some level. Plus, you're not spending all the money that's associated with playing at a Division One level because Division One programs get 11 and a half scholarships. They got 30 kids on the roster. You're probably going to get a quarter scholarship at the best, right? So you're still playing $30,000, $50,000 a year to go to a Division One school, Whereas you could pay five thousand to go to Brookdale, play good baseball, and then transfer on a half scholarship because you've produced at the college level, right? People don't really understand that. If the kid, that's what they want to do, let them do it, right? They'll find their own way, and if they take ownership, it's probably going to have a better result at the end. Yeah, especially in like wealthier areas in the state, I feel like people don't understand college is not for everyone, um, and college baseball is not for everyone either. Like if if you have if you have trouble getting out of if you have trouble getting to school for an eight a.m. start, you're gonna have trouble getting to a five thirty a.m. lift in the cold. Um, so I mean, like you know, again, it's not for everyone. Like being great is not for everyone. You know, being mediocre is for people, right? So that's kind of the approach. To like you know, you have to look at it if you really want it. Like you know, um, like I'm not like I'm not gonna go to Rampo College and I'm not gonna play Division three baseball and I, I to wake up at five thirty a.m. Like I rather just you know. Like you said, go party at Rutgers or go party at Indiana, which is fine. But again, like you have to, it has to be driven by the kid, not so much the parent. Um, and I think that's why we see, even like I know so many kids who went to college baseball and ended up quitting, um, quitting or having like huge loans. Like I went to St. Peter's, the, I think with my academic and baseball scholarship, I was paying thirty five a year for that one year. I went to Rapo and commuted. My buddies always let me stay in the rooms. Um, stay in the rooms like during the season, but I paid $15,000. So, I mean, um, I played more, I paid less. I probably got a better education. Um, I met my fiance there. So, I mean, like, you know, it's not, you know, again, it's driven, you know, it's, it was, the decisions were driven by me, which, uh, you know, in the end you're happy about. Yeah. Yeah. And now you, now you have your own business, which like that, I think gets a lot of times driven by the fact that you're okay making your own decisions, right? You're willing to take those risks and do it yourself versus being somebody like making those decisions for you. And like, you just get a get, get a given, right? So like, yeah, I, I think it's really important. So as, as we're sort of wrapping up here, I, I guess like, you know, I want to give you a chance to talk a little bit more about what you're doing at your facility philosophically, 
Um, like what's that look like when you're working with a high school player? Like what sorts of things are you really emphasizing with them to get better as players? And maybe we've touched on some of it, but like just to kind of give you a platform to talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. So I work with about, I would say like 50 to 60 high school hitters, um, in New Jersey, a couple from New York. Um, and I strictly just do hitting instruction. Um, I wanted to be a college baseball coach. I got into it at Rutgers Newark. It wasn't for me. So I kind of just like started doing lessons. When COVID hit, I found like a nice little area, a nice little spot where, um, you know, obviously real estate was real cheap. I found um, basically, you know, a garage, um, did some work there. I started in my backyard and I jumped to there. Um, I've been able, fortunate enough to accumulate a really good, a really good players um, in the past two and a half, three years. Um, and basically what we do is hitting, um, you know, um, at this point in the season, we're kind of just refining mechanics once January rolls around, we'll kind of get the machines pumping. Um, we'll look at velocity. We'll look at, you know, spin, stuff like that. So my goal is to, you know, make guys, you know, make guys perform at the highest offensive level they can. And if they don't, like, you know, I do take complete ownership. Like I lost a pretty good player from this year to last year who's a pretty good player, but he didn't have the year he wanted. So obviously I understand it moving on. And, you know, um, I like the results-driven um, – it's a result, results-driven business, right? Um, and I like working with the higher end player because I think I'm very good at taking um, a good player to be really good and not a bad player to be good. I think there's a you know a special person that can really help younger younger kids, which I don't think I'm great with. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think um, I resonate with the high school kids well because um, you know I um, you know I went through it at such a um, you know moving level. I saw so many different things. I'm able to connect with them. But yeah, what we try to do basically is, you know, make a complete hitter. Um, we try to stay, even though I've hit tracks, I know I'm going to get uh, crap for this. Um, we try not to focus too much on the metrics. Um, and we try to keep everything relative to the player. Um, you know, my, um, the dude who's 6'1", you know, my guy from St. Joe's who's 6'2", two, two, probably 200 pounds and absolutely shredded is going to hit the ball harder than, you know, the dude that's, you know, 5'8". So keeping super relevant to each player, kind of focusing on getting yourself better and not keeping up with the Joneses, like you said. Um, And then from there, I try to do a little help with recruiting for my guys. Um, So we try to do like some show, we do like some showcases, we do like some seminar stuff like that. Um, I'm in contact with college coaches daily, probably, Um, even if it's just passing along a player in my area. Um, I coach at a high school, St. Peter's Prep, where I went. So I'm there. But yeah, I mean, I don't do anything fancy. I don't run like huge clinics or, you know, this or that. Like I kind of just have my hitters and I try to take care of them. Yeah. Well, I mean, being, being in a similar business, you know, I think a, coaching comes down to trust, right? Do the, do the, your clients trust that you have their best interests at heart, right? Sometimes it's not exactly the, the methods, right? It's more the, Hey, I'll do whatever it takes to make sure you get better. And if that means that what I'm trying isn't working. I'm going to try something else to make sure that you're getting to where you want to go versus like, this is the way I do it. And if you don't do it my way, then it's the highway. And that's not, that's certainly not the way I coach. And it doesn't sound like that's the way you coach. No. Yeah. I, I, you know, there's a bunch, I, I mean, I guess like philosophy wise, like I go off like Jake Epstein and Steve Schwartz from Stan's doctor, um, Steve Teal from Teals and Wyckoff is my mentor. I kind of stick by those guys. You know, you always try different things, but, um, you try to make it really flexible to the kid, um, get the barrel behind the ball. And like, you know, when they get in the game, it's just kind of like go compete. Um, I have a bunch of good competitors, um, even though I haven't had all of them in the game. Some of them I had uh, have. Um, 
And the other thing is, yeah, just like, you know, I base my business around in-game results. So, like, I always ask parents for video. Um, my guys at Mawa High School, I have a few of them. I always go watch their games because they're up the road from me. Um, Osco is right there. I have a couple of those guys. Um, yeah, and again, you know, I just try not to make it like a tie your shoes. Like, let's hit for 45 minutes and I'll take your money and, like, I'll see you next week. Like, I try to make it, like, you know, really results-oriented. And, like, I, I you know, I want to see kids through who, you know, who obviously do want to play college baseball get to that point. Um, and from that point, no, I, I would consider it a success, but, um, you know, I would say like my 2025 class, the sophomores high school right now is like my really core group. And, you know, once I grow up, kind of be able to judge, you know, if what I'm doing is actually working. <laughs> well, I mean, to, yes. And, and listen, I mean, it's definitely a results oriented business. Um, but I, but I think, you know, and, and I'm, and I'm in a little different boat because I work with a lot of baseball players, but it's really, it's a lot harder to see the, the results of mental training than it is, I think, any sort of physical instruction. But at the end of the day, I think it's, does the player think that they're getting the results that they want? Are they getting better? They can, are they're only, they're, they're the only judge of that. Because what I would say is just because you're not getting results statistically on the field doesn't mean you're not getting better, right? You could, your numbers could get worse, but you could get better as a player because there's so many things you can't control. And I think it's up to the player to decide like, am I getting better or am I not getting better? And that's, that's a fine line. And I think if your intention as a coach to help players do everything they can to get better and go compete and go out on the field and have the tools to succeed and solve problems on their own when you're not there, to me, that's success. And you just never know when someone's going to be happier than not. So you do the best you can and you, you hope for the best. Yeah. I, yeah. Like I said, I've been fortunate enough to get like a good amount of high level players that understand like the process of it and not so much the results of it. Um, I mean, like I, I, I get a text, like I went over three, but like I barreled up three balls. Like that's a great text to get um, stuff like that. Um, and not like, you know, like when the kid sends me a video of the bleeder down the left field line, I'm like, dude, like why are you sending this? Um, from a terms of like, you know, reposting it or acknowledging it as opposed to evaluating it, um, which is totally different. But, you know, like I said, I've been very really fortunate uh, to have some high, really high level players. And, um, you know, and I just think the best kids are the best competitors. Um, that's why multi-sport athletes are always so good. Um, always so good. And like, you know, it's kind of getting shaved down more and more to sports specific, which is, which is good and bad. You know, the skills get really better, but you know, I find, um, you know, the kids, even through eighth grade who played two sports, like it's just such an advantage uh, mentally. Um, and again, like a kid not might under, you know, you might not be able to see a mental training advantage, like on a stack card or on a video, but you know, if the kid's walking off the field, going home a little bit more happier, like you've definitely done your job and, you know, you even let the kid enjoy the game a little bit more. <laughs> like I said, you're playing the game, you're chasing the goal, you're off the streets, you're not doing drugs, like you're making a group of friends. So, you know, that's what, uh, what it all comes down to, to youth baseball. I think a lot of people like lose sight of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think the word that comes to mind when you say that is perspective, right? And I think that's certainly something that I'm a proponent of in the, in the role that I have, which is to say like, listen, let's keep it in perspective, right? There's only so many players that get to the highest level of baseball. We're all going to retire at some point. Like, what does it mean? I'm a competitor. I get to, I get to play. It's a privilege, right? Like I'm out there with my friends, having a good time, staying healthy, you know, having fun. Like there's something to be said for that, right? It's not life and death necessarily. Um, and if you treat it like life and death, it's going to be really hard 
to enjoy baseball. So then at a certain point, it's like, well, why am I doing it? Right. So keeping some perspective is, is critical, albeit you still want to be a competitor and you still want to get better and you want to go out and perform. Um, the last question I always ask all of my guests is the same one in some form or another. So from your perspective as a, as a, as a private hitting instructor, working with high school athletes who are going on to college, like, like if you had to give one piece of advice to a high school kid or a family, like from where you sit, like what's the one thing you'd leave them with that you think is the most important thing to, to remember? Uh, from the recruiting process. And I would say, wait as long as you can, um, wait as long as you can compile as much good information as you can. Um, talk to, talk to as many people as you can try to find people who had experience in it. So take as long as you can and try to see things as a process, um, you know, kind of down the line, not so much as a result right now. Um, because you know, the game is so short, right. We, uh, we don't want to put, we don't want to lose sight of actually playing the game, right? Like, you know, um, you know, we focus so much on today's lesson, like what we did bad, but in terms like, you know, it's for something else. So like, you know, that goes for anything. So like just not losing sight of the process, the perspective of it. Um, but again, just kind of look at the marathon, right. Not the sprint. Excellent. Well, that's a great way to end. I agree with that hundred percent. So <clears throat> Nick, thanks for coming on to the podcast. I appreciate it. Uh, it was great to talk to you and hopefully we can uh, keep the conversation going. Yeah, Mike, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you. So what's your biggest takeaway from my conversation with Nick Camilleri? My biggest takeaway is that being a good coach isn't just about knowledge of your sport. It's about being able to apply that knowledge to the needs of the athletes that you're coaching. Further, coaches don't need years of experiences to be good at their job if they have the right perspective. My suggestion to coaches is to use your playing experiences to best serve your athletes, but not make it about you. This is very challenging for many coaches, including myself. However, if the intention is to serve the athlete, then they will get better. I want to thank Nick for his kind generosity and the wisdom he shared with the Freshman Foundation community. You can learn more about Nick on his website at camillary-baseball.com. To learn how you can be ready for the next step in your athletic journey, visit michaelvhuber.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you back soon for episode 59. Mike Huber is the founder and owner of Follow the Ball Coaching, located in Fairhaven, New Jersey. He is a mental performance coach and business advisor dedicated to serving athletes just like you reach their full potential on and off the court. The Freshman Foundation is all about helping you get to the next level. For more information, follow along on Instagram at The Freshman Foundation. Please subscribe. Give us a like on iTunes, Spotify, leave a review, tell a friend. Most importantly, come back in two weeks. Ready to get better.